You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Moutier, and I'm here today with Mark Stuss, CEO at Proof Analytics. How are you doing today, Mark? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. That's pretty good. So today we will be talking about marketing attribution, topic that uh, I'm sure a lot of people are, are keen to understand, particularly CEOs, CFOs that are at the early stage of investing in marketing. Before we get into detail, would you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself as well as the company that you represent, Profanalytics? Sure. So I am a former large company CMO myself who about 15 years ago got into analytics, data and analytics, pretty, pretty early, obviously, trying to connect the dots and trying to optimize the spend that we had. And, and given the companies that I was working for, it was a lot of money, right? Yeah. So, so it really mattered. I was actually educated on this primarily by finance guys, by CFOs and people who worked for CFOs, you know, it took a while, but we got to a, a point of a very, very high maturity in terms of using marketing mixed modeling to prove it all out and to optimize. But with one of the things that we noticed, which is a, is very typical is that any analytics that are human powered, meaning delivered a large team or even a small team are very slow, right? It, it takes a long time to do the recalculation. And so the problem is, is that by the time you get the answers, the answers are no longer relevant to your decision. Yeah. Right? So the way we fixed it at Honeywell was we just overhired the, on the analysts. It was a total brute force solution. It was extremely expensive, yeah. millions, right? But you know, everyone saw the value and no, no one ever complained about it, but it was still as good as it was in 2010 and 2011, 2012, it was suboptimal. Right. And so when we kind of started thinking about doing a startup in this area, we said, okay, it, automation is the key. And so that's what we, we built what did not exist, which is a fully optimized, fully automated marketing mix modeling software platform. And so that's what proof analytics is today, significantly disrupting the, the space. Not from a customer point of view, but if you're a legacy provider of MMM services, you're feeling us right now. Yeah, 100%. Who would you say is your main ICP, the people you would sell to? Would they be the CMO or the CFO or the CEO? Yeah, it's actually both. This is not about solving a marketing problem for marketing alone. This, this is, this involves a lot of different people or it can involve a lot of different people. We are the bridge in a sense between all these people. And so if you look at it, if you look at the tool, if you look at the platform, it, it really serves two different personas. There's an analyst persona, right? And, and that's pretty self-evident what that probably looks like for most people. It's the part of the whole thing that most people, most quote, normal people don't understand. Mm -hmm. And then there's a business user part of it that is incredibly intuitive and works exactly like a GPS on your phone. Okay. Right? So 
One of the things that is really important to say here, and this goes to a paper that I helped co-write not, not too long ago with Kathleen Shaw, who's one of the foremost analysts in the space, proving out the ROI is always going to be important, but the most important thing today in a multivariable world that's full of change is figuring out what's changing around you. How do I react in response to that? And, and it's really just like the journey that you take to a restaurant that you've never been before, right? So you're on the GPS and the GPS says, Hey, you need to go. This is the way forward. This is your yep. root value, right? But then all of a sudden something happens, right? Or there's an accident or the traffic piles up or whatever. And the GPS says, Aurelian, Hey, guess what? You need to go right, go left, go right, you know, go strut, go, you know, and, and you make the change. And that's the real value of proof right there. There's a CMO that I just spoke with. He said, I really love this because it means I'll never be wrong. Oh. And, and in a sense, he's right. He's correct. So, so wait a sec. So, so what we're saying here, we're saying that you've got a solution. It's, it's not just about the ROI and doing what that ton of analysts would do normally, which is proving the value of the campaign and the return that you got on the campaign. What your tool also provides is that intelligence as to how you should adapt what you are doing. So do you do that through services or is it part of the software package that to, to actually provide that sort of, yeah. look at it as a consultancy. I appreciate your example with a GPS, but when it comes to marketing, it's almost yeah. like a marketing consultancy in a box, right? Yeah, well, it can be, right? It is part of the software. You can maybe an unfortunate uh, term to use, particularly what's going on in the Ukraine, but you can war game different alternatives, right? Yep. Uh, and, and make choices and lock them in and they will, they will ripple through the whole programmatic piece, right? If you, if you're set up to, to do it that way, it will just automatically do it for you. There are a lot of times where the marketers in proof are asked to consult with a CMO or a CMO's team for several hours, maybe something like that to help them understand and evaluate what they're seeing and what, what it means, right. And what they maybe ought to do. That's usually kind of like in the earlier stages because the tool is actually really, really intuitive. And so once you, once you really are up to speed on it, you don't really need our help anymore at all. So this is sort of early stage kind of thing, but it, you know, it's actually one of the things that I enjoy the most because it is about, you know, at the end of the day, the software exists to serve people, but people do not serve the software. Right. And that, that I enjoy those conversations because it's all about ultimately, Hey, this is what the data and the analytics have to say, but how are we actually going to act? In the yeah. light of that, right? 100%. So obviously we still have conversation about how measurable marketing actually, actually is and, and the concept of dark funnel that maybe you can also explain to our, to our audience seems to be gaining more and more visibility. But from, from your point of view, is there anything that is not, you can't just measure from a marketing perspective? I think that, the, and you know, this is going to sound like I am engaging in semantics. Okay. But I'm actually really not. Okay. 
there's a difference between measurement and analytics. Measurement is data. And by definition, it's always in the past, right? This happened this way on this date in this country, whatever, right? Analytics is about the relationships that exist or don't exist between all kinds of different things that you're measuring. So I, the way I would answer that question is, is that there are some things about marketing that you have to measure inferentially, right? And dark funnel is a, is a great example of this. There are, I mean, that the, one of the best examples of dark funnel is peer to peer, right? What are, what are, what's happening in private conversations? You are never going to be able to measure that unless we live in a totalitarian state, right? And I don't think anybody wants that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but what you can say is, Hey, you know what? We are seeing evidence that confidence and trust scores about us and about our competitors are moving in the following directions, right? And there are relationships that we can find between those, let's say, increasing trust and confidence scores and faster and faster time to close, meaning faster deal velocity, which is a classic relationship. And so that's a really important thing because what you can say then is, okay, you know what? We need to do more, whatever it is we're doing that is impacting trust and confidence scores, right? Based on, on the analytics. We need to do more of that. The dark funnel is a really catchy way of talking about brand, right? About three, three years ago, right? It was right before it was the last South by Southwest before COVID. Yeah. Uh, I keynoted on this and it was, it was all about brand and demand. It was called gear. The presentation was called gears in Greece, <laughs> right? And demand is, you know, is really the, the machinery of marketing, right? But the lubrication that allows things to move more smoothly and faster is brand. And so that's really what dark funnel represents today. The branded image would mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so you're, you're basically, I think what a lot of people, you know, came back to during the COVID period is, wow, you know what, this, this brand thing, this dark funnel thing really, really matters a lot. And it's not all about how much can we push through our marketing automation engine. You got to have both without a doubt, right? But you can have a great demand operation. And if you have no brand or dark funnel activity, you're going to have a hard time. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. I mean, we, if you look at our journey, we've been, we've been at it for 10 years at Operatics. The first three years, first four years, the phone's not ringing. You don't really get a lot of inbound. Here's the art graph. You've got to go, you've got to meet the demand on their turf. Yeah. And then you build up relationship. And, and in fact, I was a little bit against the brand stuff. I was such an idiot back in the days because I saw that she was just sort of we all, were, we all were in some way, shape or form. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking, you know what, it's just, oh, the brand stuff, we just, whatever. It's, it, it's, it's, it's something that the marketers are using to spend money and don't want to be, in, you know, and, and I'll, basically I was just so, so bad about it. And 
I was convinced to, to do it anyway and to spend more time on building up the brands and, and being careful about what we are doing and, and, and the way we are communicating and what we are communicating about. And, and you, you've got lots of dimension. You've got what your clients are saying about you. You've got what your employees are saying about you. You've got the way you look on LinkedIn and, you know, all those things from my perspective, some of it would actually create demand because people find you and they're like, oh, this is something I need. So let's use that stuff. But first and foremost, we almost use it as a way to be, to have a competitive advantage when we are on a deal and basically someone is looking at us versus three other competitors. So we are part of, you know, the three finalists. And then people will start to go online and say, well, let's see what we can find about those guys. And if you get a company where you can find a bit of a brand, a bit of presence, someone who gives back to the community, you know, things like the podcast, we don't do it as a way to generate revenue. We do it because we want to be on the bleeding edge. We learn from the conversation we're having every week on the podcast. But right. that's one thing that our competitors don't tend to do. We probably are the only company that in our space that does it. So would it be a plus for someone or not? You know, it's, it's, we don't even think that way, but it's, it's about building that sort of presence that the others sometimes don't have because they don't invest in their brand. They just, they just rely on the demand to come. And, and yeah, I'm glad I was, I was being convinced like six years ago to take that turn because now the phone is ringing. And in fact, it doesn't stop ringing. And coming back to the world of Mars, we, we actually see it. We, we, we try to have these straightforward programs, which is always very interesting because you, you want to know when someone gives your name to someone else and when someone comes to us say, hey, right. uh, you know, the people who would just give us business or refer, refer us for business would be CMOs, CROs, CEOs of companies. You give them $500 as a, as a kicker, they, they just laugh at you. They don't, you know. So we're trying to do something a little bit more meaningful, which is planting trees. So we plant trees when we've got, and, and people, get to the game, you know, they WhatsApp me. So oh, I've, I've done another introduction. I was in the meeting, that company should come through your website or whatever, watch out. Can you please make sure I've got my 200 trees? You know, I want my forest to be bigger than that guy. <laughs> and they're all competing with each other, which is fantastic because it's for the good of everyone. So, but I think there is a way where you can actually have a feeling for that, maybe more for us because we're in the B2B world. And, and, and I guess, you know, in the, in the software industry, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a niche. It's a big niche, but it's yeah. a little bit of a niche. But I would expect, obviously, someone who is in the consumer business to, to really struggle to understand the conversation between consumer and everything. But yeah, we, we found a way to actually measure it. We found a way to incentivize it. We find a way to, to get more and more, basically. And quarter on quarter, we see that progressing. Uh, and then we are translating the, the bread. We, what we are trying to do is to get, how do we get every single employee of the company to be a brand ambassador. So we don't talk about being a brand ambassador, but we speak about everybody's customer success, right? How do we make sure that your clients, even if they leave you, they leave you nostalgic, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And we measure all that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's several points that are really important in what you just said. One is that time, this is actually a great relationship between what you're doing with trees and brand, right? Both take a lot of time. There's a lot of time lag, right? If you plant a tree, let's say, let's say you, you're, you want to harvest that tree later for wood, right? You're not going to do that the next year. You know, you're going to have to wait 
probably two decades. You don't have to wait two decades for brand to make a difference in your business. But what really, the reason why most CFOs and CEOs think that brand is a waste of money is because of time lag, right? And when all of a sudden you compute the time lag, because that's part of the math here and prove, right? So you're showing everything net of time lag. That is an eye opener. Yeah. One of the, so when you see a large budget cut in marketing, it's because they need the money now. They need to claw that money back now because they have some pressing need or something, right? And they can understand that immediate need, but the time lag obfuscates what the cost of that cut is going to be a year later or a year and a half later, right? So it becomes not real, but if you show them what it's going to cost them in lost momentum and, or, you know, whatever, what we see again and again with our, with our customers is that the business says, I don't think I really want to make that cut. We had a very large customer during COVID and still have this customer, but during COVID they were approached in July of 2020 by finance for a 40% cut. They showed them the analytics from proof and they ended up getting a 15% cut because finance and the business said, you know what? It's too expensive to cut you. That's what you really want. That's what you want to see. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really, I really, I think that you're right on there. Right. And the writ that the corresponding issue is that there's a tremendous amount of risk associated with brand spend again, because of the time lag. So if you are not recalculating it constantly, very much like your GPS on your phone, recalculate your trip, right? If you're not doing that, if you're waiting six months before you recalculate your brand spend, you're going to have a big problem. And then there's a lot of movement, a lot of change. It's in, in my eyes about doing the important versus the urgent, you know, the demand is urgent, you eat pipeline now. And, you know, it's, it's, it's actually quite interesting. And we, I'm married to a finance person, so we've got different point of view that, but I don't really understand the whole quarterly piece. Like I'm going to invest the budget in the quarter. I need to see a return in the quarter. I mean, how do you do that? You know, so. Yeah. Your, your example of the trade is the same, you know, it's like, if you want to harvest a relationship with a new prospect and, and most of our clients will have a, an average deal value of $50,000, $100,000, you're not going to close that in the quarter unless you are a very well-known brand and you are de facto, like you are Apple or Salesforce or ServiceNow and people have already made up their mind before they come to you. And then, then they could, they could become available. But the reality that's written in the quarter, really? And it's often the large organization that think that way. And then you get to the end of the quarter and they've got some budget left and we need to use it because if we don't use it, it's gone. And then we rush about. So I think it's, it's kind of interesting about how there is a great site of marketing attribution and measuring and, 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 and doing the analytics and, 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 and thinking forward about what you're going to do. But I think in some organization and sometimes too much measurement actually kill the flow. Because as you said, it's a slow burner, it's a, it's a time lag, but you need things like that. You know, Rome was not built in one day as, you know, we, we, we've got the French saying around that and 
And and I think it's it's true. You've got to build something. You've got to do the important versus the urgent. But recently, I'm just going to move slightly the, the, the topic. I came across an article that you shared, and, and that was titled, Marketing is not a vending machine, which discusses marketing ROI in a complex digital area. So can you share with our audience the, the main points that the article cover? Yeah, it's, so it goes back to the GPS idea, right? That you're living in a multivariable world and that most of the impact is generated by things that you do not control. So you can understand those to some degree, but you cannot control them. It's like the wave in an ocean, right? You don't control the wave. You did not generate the wave, right? Your job as a surfer, right, is to either ride that wave well or poorly, yeah. right? And so one of the things that the analytics really talks about, and that's what's in this article, right, is this idea that you have to understand the context. If you don't understand what the environment is doing, what's going on in the marketplace relative to your business and how that changes the headwinds or the tailwinds that your business is dealing with and thus that your marketing spend has to address, okay, you're, you're going to have a problem. You're not going to be able to, to achieve what you need to achieve. Again, going back to the GPS analogy on the phone, right? This is, you know, when traffic happens, piles up in front of you or uh, an accident happens or something, rain, all of a sudden a huge storm. These are examples of headwinds that slow your journey down, that force you to make changes. Same thing is happening in the marketplace all the time. The thing that's really important, going back to what you were just talking about, is the fact that all of these, so some things that you're spending money on have an immediate impact. Immediate is a relative word, but quick impact. Other things take a lot longer, but both are going to be either accelerated or retarded by what's going on in the environment, the, the marketplace, right? So again, going back to your example of trees, if you take a, you know, hundred year old tree and you, and let's say it falls over in a storm, right? So you didn't kill it, uh, but you cut it open and you can see the rings. Okay. And some have, you know, there's a lot of growth in a year and some have very little growth in a year. That's not about the tree typically, right? That's about what's going on in the environment. And it took a long time for that portrait of impact to be seen, to be visible, right? In the, in the tree, same thing is true in marketing. And so one of the things that we are, the, the only thing that we're, the only thing that I would disagree with you about in terms of people, people being obsessed with data and analytics, right? And, and it getting in the way is that it, it only gets in the way if you have the wrong view of it. If you're constantly trying to react as opposed to react appropriately, right, on the time scale, you're going to have a big zigzag back and forth, right? You're going to be overcorrecting on your journey. It's going to, it's not going to be good. But if you say, okay, you know what? The trend line that's showing up right now is divergent from my, my ideal path. And I'm going to kind of experiment here and I'm going to start incrementally moving things in a way that 
should bring me back to my main route to value. And then you see that in the analytics, it's actually happening that way. Mm -hmm. That's value. That's real. The idea though, that you can make huge changes overnight is not. No, I do love the analogy of the three rings. I must say, I may, I may, I may use it again in the future and just make sure I give you the, the trademark on it, but it's so true. You know, the environment is important and the environment can play in your favor or against your favor. It could do both. It could be fantastic. Like for example, for us right now, we've got a ton of demand. You know, lots of people are looking at growing their business. Things have been a bit slow. The market is really active in the technology space. So everybody wants to go big and they want to go big yesterday. But at the same time, we've got circumstances that are very difficult, which is there is a lots of, everybody's recruiting at the moment. Finding talents is difficult, so, right? So you've got to rethink about how you're finding these things and you've got to adapt. So one thing that is an opportunity in one end, on one end can be something that slow you down on the other. So it's interesting how the context actually change things. And I do agree with you, you know, I think the, it really depends on the people. And I think my point is that people sometimes overkill analytic and it's not just about number and something that can be slow to start with because you don't get a lot of results. Maybe if you are it for another quarter would actually come to fruition. You know, there is things that need, there is stone that needs to be pushed a little bit harder and as a strategy and tactical things are always good, but tactical things, I don't know if you ever get the big box out of tactical things. You know, when you expect quick return, but when you invest over time and particularly around brand, as we discussed, and if the market sees that you actually try to do something and you are genuine about it, this long-term investment can be a fantastic. So speaking about the kind of misconception and then my misconception of some of the, the marketing attribution, the one that I had six years ago regarding bread, what are the misconceptions regarding marketing attribution that you, you come across the most often? And, 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 and I guess that's the, the maybe the... Maybe we will open up to all the CMOs or marketing people listening to us, like giving them, giving them a little bit of clues as to where the struggles are, what the, the issues are with, 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 with marketing attribution and how they should fight internally for their own right. I think one of the biggest ones is that more is better. Now you have to, you have to really be specific about your business. Okay. The, the, when you make that kind of statement, but in B2B in long cycle. B2B where it's long. The reason why it's long cycle is that there's a lot of risk in the buy decision. And so trust and confidence plays a much bigger role, particularly in the back half of the journey than awareness ever did in the front, right? So awareness, confidence, and trust are the three legs. Everyone knows what awareness is. Confidence is, I believe that you can do what you say you can do and that you're not exaggerating. Trust is, is really existential. It means that when our interests diverge, I still know that you'll treat me well. You'll do the right thing. The more trust you have, the more confidence you have from your customer, the more likely there's, they are to spend more and the faster they will make a decision in your favor. Likewise, and you, this is unfortunately the way you see it a lot is that when those scores, when trust and confidence are low, it takes forever to close the deal. Yeah. This is actually one of the biggest problems that startups have, right? Because they haven't been around long enough to have created a lot of trust and confidence. And so the customers look at them as, wow, this is really cool. Like whatever it is they've created, 
really cool, but wow, there's a lot of risk, a lot of risk here. And so they, they sit on their hands for a long time. They take forever to make a buy decision, which almost ensures the failure of the startup, right? So there's, there's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy here. It's one of the reasons why a lot of startups that are successful have as their principal, maybe it's their founder, maybe it's their CEO, whatever, someone who already personally has a brand with a lot of trust and confidence attached to it. I think that that was probably one of the things that happened with Proof is that even before we even thought about creating Proof, I had developed those kinds of personal relationships with people, high trust, high confidence relationships. So when we did it, people, when we did prove people were willing to listen and people were willing to take a risk at that time, five years ago, it was really probably in retrospect, they were taking a risk on me today. It's not, I'm not, it's not all about me at all. Right. I mean, we have a great team. We've built a great product and it's people evaluated on that basis together with our, what our customers say about us. Right. So. But I, I would say that the other big misconception here is what you touched on before, which is that this idea that I can look for the impact of my investments in the next quarter, unless you're talking about retail or something like that with a really, really super tight turn. Yeah, the feedback loop is immediate or fairly immediate and the risk of the purchase risk is low. And so it's primarily emotional, but if you're talking about B2B, right, this is just not, this is not going to happen. Time lag is a big, big, big deal, right? And you are going to have to say, okay, you know what? Some of this is a long play. I'm going to need the analytics to prove it out. Otherwise, guess what? Everyone's going to think that brand is just a huge reason to spend a lot of money unnecessarily. So that is a misconception in some ways, more of a misconception by the business than it is about market from marketers. I think that the other big misconception that the business has about marketing is that if we put an analytics platform like proof into the equation, that the analytics are going to say that half the spend is a waste or that it is being spent incorrect, incorrectly. I think that what we see time and time again is that marketing teams have correctly intuited in many cases, their intuition and their experience, right? They can't prove it, right? But they have correctly intuited what works. The 80, 20 rule is alive and well. Okay. So when, when proof is deployed. What typically happens is that the analytics show that roughly 20%, 25%, maybe sometimes 10 or 15% of the spend is sub-optimized. But the cool thing about that is, is that you, based on the analytics, you can eliminate that, right? You can correct it and you can correct it on an ongoing basis as things change. So the amount of, of this is actually what that CMO was sort of talking about when he said, you know, this is, this means I'm never wrong, right? I mean, he's joking, but sort of not joking all at the same time, because the ability to constantly understand what's going on and make changes, make tweaks to it means that 
you're never going to be caught out with a huge error. And so that there, there, there was one situation with a customer about a year and a half ago where the finance team, we presented to them, they immediately got it. They, you know, proof is totally in their area. They totally understand it. And you could sort of see this little gleam in their eye, right? That they're like, you know, finally put the screws to marketing. And the marketing team was obviously very concerned, right? They were, they were kind of having a little freak out moment. The analytics came back and that was, you know, that's usually about 45, 60 days later when that happens. It showed that there was only about 10%, 12% of sub-optimized marketing spend. So now the, the marketing team was like kicking back in their chair, you know, smoking a cigar basically. And the finance team was kind of sitting there going, wait a minute, that's not the way it was supposed to turn out. But everybody agreed that that was point of fact, the truth, right? And so it really changed the conversation between marketing and the rest of us. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. At the end of the day, it's probably better to have the intent and discuss about it. You know, if it's good, if it's bad, if it's bad, do something about it. If it's good, let's do about it. <laughs> so, but look, Mark, we, we, we kind of getting to the end of, of the time. We could have got on, I've got so many, it is such an interesting topic and there is so much psychology and Again, I did, I did write down the trust and confidence and the three rings and that's going to, the three ring is probably, I, I really love the technology. It makes so much sense. Never thought about it before. So if it's one of yours, you are really good with analogies, but you've shared so much insight with us today. I'm so thankful for that. If, if anyone wants to carry on and pursue the conversation with you or speak about proof and, and how your solution could help them and their organization, what's the best way to get hold of you? Well, I'm very active on LinkedIn and. If you reach out to me, we're not already connected. I will absolutely connect with you and we'll have a conversation. They can also reach me directly on email, mark, M-A-R-K dot Stoos, S-T-O-U-S-E at Proof Analytics. And that's also our, our URL for the website, right? Is proofanalytics.ai. So there's a lot of, and I'm also on Twitter, right? It's Mark Stoos is my handle on Twitter. So there's a lot of different ways to reach me. Well, great. And thanks again for your time, Mark, today. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, thank you so much. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.